1: Hello, this is Dr. Susan with Occupy Health. Here we want to bring information so you can be proactive in your health and you can move your uh, health situation toward optimal health and not have to rely on can you get an appointment and whatever. Anyway, today we have a special treat. We've got Dr. Daniel Pompa, and his book is phenomenal. I mean, this is a book on dieting. I mean, we're all trying to diet, and he acknowledges when it doesn't work. But his idea is to put in a, a day or so a week of feasting, and I'm thinking if one day is good, maybe I'll try five. But I don't know. anyway. <laughs> Naughty, naughty me. Anyway, let me introduce our guest. I met him at a a conference and I was blown away. Anyway, Dr. Daniel Pompa is a global health leader and innovator on a mission to educate practitioners and the public on the origins of inflammation-driven diseases, cellular detoxification, fasting strategies, and diet variation principles. Although trained as a chiropractor, his authority comes from the victory within his own battle overcoming a neurotoxic illness that was rooted in heavy metal poisoning. So he goes far beyond the version of a chiropractor 20, 30 years ago. Because I think they led the functional medicine movement, which uh, doctors had we had to jump on as well. So he we formed the Institute for Functional Medicine. But uh, these guys were really on the foreground and
0: you know leading the doctors along.
1: So welcome, doctor.
0: Papa. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you. At, uh, I think it was the Bulletproof Conference, if exactly. I recall.
1: Exactly. So tell mm-hmm. me about your journey.
0: Well, uh, look, yeah, I, you know, everything, uh, I'm blessed to teach doctors around the world what I do, how I do it, um, but I didn't choose it. <laughs> it chose me. Um, I, you know, it was around 1999, 2000, the end of ninety nine I guess. And uh you yeah, know, I just like so many people listening, I got just fatigue and brain fog and you know, but it, I thought I was overtraining. I was cycling at the time and had a very busy practice. So I well, like most good uh trained athletes, I cut back on my training massively, but it was getting worse, not better. And then it started complicating. I I started getting like these bizarre headaches I started uh, not sleeping, insomnia. I became intolerant, allergic to every food I was eating. I was running from foods, playing that game. Uh, you know, I played the adrenal game for a while. I must have just burned my adrenals out. And, you know, I would address that. It would help some things. And then I started the thyroid. I realized, wait, my body temperature is so low. My hair is thinning. I. You know, all of a sudden I was getting skinny fat where my body was burning its muscle up for energy and getting fatter on my waist. So what is going on? But anyways, long story short, I figured it out. Um, this, that was a process many years of figuring it out, by the way. <laughs> so, but even the roads that I went down that um, I would have thought were a waste of time weren't because uh, God was teaching me what I needed to know. And learn. So everything that I teach today really came out of that battle, that journey and what I figured out.
1: That sounds like the whole pathway for a naturopath. You start with the gut. I mean, if you read Sarah Myhill's stuff, beautiful book on how the layman can do it herself. I mean, you can find her podcast on here. But you start Mm -hmm. with guts, and then uh, you look at the thyroid and look at the adrenals, and then you look further and consider detox. It sounds like the standard naturopathic approach. So it sounds like you did it all and found it on your own.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that was the approach, but like many, uh, you know, it, it helped some things, and but it didn't give me a lasting result. I wasn't better, and, and really because I didn't get to the cause, right? I mean, I was focused on my hormones, uh, you know, all of them, really. I, I think I even tried different ways to boost my testosterone. It was low. Um, the thyroid hormones, right, as we spoke about the adrenals, You know, and of course, like most people, I was doing everything for my gut um, possible, and my diet was spot on. I I had to take all grains out of my diet because I was so intolerant to gluten, but it went beyond that. I was reacting to many different proteins, but I wasn't well. I, I mean, I did all that. I was doing what most people would do and then some. I mean, I was the guy. I mean, if you told me to stand on my head every day in the corner for 20 minutes, I'd be like, is 40 better? I mean, so, uh, you know, but, you know, I, look, I had I had a gift as a young man, uh, as a kid, child growing up that I didn't look at it as a gift at the time. It's called dyslexia. And I couldn't read till I was in seventh grade. And probably that I probably really couldn't read even that well. But I was very embarrassed about it, of course. But I compensated around dyslexia, as most do, but what it did is it gave me the very gift that I needed to um, basically learn what I needed to learn. It gave me a gift of reading literature and remembering um, very in detail where I would read something and, and um, just being able to put it all together. So uh, again, I, my, my message is always from pain to purpose because you know my whole story is how I learned anything that really matters. And also, my dyslexia is how I actually was able to read so much literature and apply it, honestly. But the bottom line is, is that the, there's answers. But we're, it's not where most functional medicine people are looking. That's the problem. It's not just if it was so, only so easy just to take some probiotics and fix the gut. If it was only so easy just to fix the gut and think you're better, it's not. You know, there's an upstream problem. and If you don't get to that, you're not going to get your life back. That's what was. That's what happened to me.
1: So, what was the cause? Because you look, at maybe these are surface things. You know, looking at the surface, the symptoms rather than the cause. So, you did the standard naturopathic approach and functional medicine is trying to hop, is hopping on that bandwagon. What was the ultimate cause for
0: you? For me, look, I one of the things I learned as well is typically it's a perfect storm, meaning. Uh, you remember, I know you do. Now, some of our listeners may be too young to remember the movie, The Perfect Storm with George Clooney. That was like big in the 80s, wasn't it? I, I think it was anyway. But um, the that movie did a great job of showing how three storms come together and it creates a catastrophic storm. And if it was two storms, it's a bad storm. But when three meet and come together, boom, the bottom falls out. And that's what I find with most, most people who just still aren't well and they're still looking here, looking there. What the heck's going on? I've changed my diet. I've, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. There's a perfect storm. Now, with those three stressors, they could be physical, chemical, or emotional, or combinations. It could be two different stressors. I was living in a low-grade mold exposure at the time, but I also had a lot of mercury exposures as well. I wore contact lenses. In the 70s, 80s, early 90s, where it didn't get taken out of the saline solution until the early 90s. So I had a large mercury exposure there. I had amalgam fillings in, which, by the way, was the thing that really tipped my bucket over was I went to a good friend of mine and he saw that I had a cracked silver amalgam filling, which contained 50% mercury. He said, yeah, this has got to come out. Took it out and took another one out. I still probably had six in my mouth. And that was it. I mean, three days after that, I was fatigued and just never correlated it, except maybe thinking it was the anesthetic or who knows. But it was years later that I found Mad Hatter's disease. Do you remember what that is?
1: Oh, yeah. Red Um, as a beak, dry as a bone, something like that.
0: Yeah, well, you know, look, the people making Felt Hats, they became known as Mad Hatter's because they were all going crazy. They were using mercury every day to attenuate molds in the felt hats they were making. But um, I had all the symptoms. I was mad as a hatter. Problem was I went and got a blood test, like many people do, and it was negative because I wasn't getting exposed every day. The mercury that I had entered into my tissue um, years before and throughout my life, um, and only to be in a low-grade mold exposure. Oh, and doing a lot of training at the time and having a busy practice. There was my perfect storm. Three stressors, you know, basically coming together, boom, my genes got triggered for sure. And, um, you know, it took me some years to figure it out, but I did. I had a lot of mercury accumulated in my brain, in particular what studies show, especially with silver filling amalgams, as they're called, in the mouth. Those fillings, a lot of the mercury vaporizes, crosses the blood-brain barrier, it goes into the pituitary hypothalamus. Well, that explains why my thyroid, my adrenals, and my hormones were just not regulating. I couldn't win that battle, you know, of just getting the hormones regulated normally. Uh, And it was driving a lot of brain inflammation and explained other symptoms. But again, it was just one of my storms. I I was in a low-grade mold exposure at the time, too, which I started reacting more to. And so I had to peel back that onion. You know, Here's the analogy. And yes, my gut was, um, was terrible. However, it explained also why I couldn't fix my gut. And here's the analogy. If there was a, let's say you bought a piece of property on this beautiful river, very excited, and you look in your river and you realize the fish are dying, floating belly up, and the plants seem to be dying as well. So you spend a lot of money, fixing the ecosystem, even bringing in new algaes and plants, and then you restock the fish. And then three months later, it's all dead again. So you decide to do it one more time with even more vigor, and you do it again. And maybe you do it another time until your neighbor comes over and says, Hey, George, you might want to save your money. 20 miles up the river there is a factory dumping mercury into the river, Um, and that's what's going on. So until we get rid of that factory, we're not going to be able to fix the river. Well, that's the same thing that happens to many people as they're trying to fix their gut, which does play a significant role in our brain health and our immune system. But upstream causative factors is what's missed most often. You could be living in a low-grade bulb situation. You could have heavy metal poisoning. My wife had very high lead levels. She never had really an exposure through her life. She got most of it from her mother which most lead is passed on generationally. The point is, is that if you don't get to those causes, you're not going to get your life back.
1: Wow. I'd like to affirm the, his comments on mercury because there are um, videos, like if you brush your teeth or you chew with your teeth or, you, you know, the mercury escapes from the fillings and you can see the vapors going right up toward the brain. And mercury is very toxic, causing a lot of problems, chronic diseases, and it can go to any part of the body. So what he says is very serious about, you know, these uh, mercury fillings. And also, it sounds like he had them pulled out quickly. It's important to do that with a a, a, a bioidentical dentist. You know, a a that You don't get mercury exposure just dumped all over you.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I have a protocol for that. And by the way, even when you get your silver fillings out, that mercury vapor turned to inorganic mercury in the brain, and there it's trapped for life. And what I have found is a lot of people, nine months a year after they get their fillings out, start to get a lot of bizarre symptoms, and they never correlate it because it happens so long ahead of it. But the fact is, is that organic mercury will outlive you. In your brain, it has a longer half-life in your brain than uh, methyl mercury, which is an organic mercury fish. But the point is, is it's stuck there, and until you get it out, you're not going to get your hormones balanced. You're not going to get your energy back, the brain fog gone. So, you know that there's a lot. What I found through this whole process. and I, Again, I would know none of this if I didn't have to save my own life, but most people, they miss the upstream causes or they don't do them correctly. So for heavy metals is a great example because in our space, things kind of take root. Like Corolla is the metal magnet, right? And well, in a Petri dish, it is what we call in vitro. But when we put Corolla in, in our bodies and it then hits the microbiome, that I means our gut bacteria, Uh, what happens is it changes it. It's not a good chelator at all. So people are trying to use weak chelators. Um, Maybe another one that some people have heard of is um, cilantro. Um, But these are weak chelators, and they oftentimes redistribute mercury throughout other parts of the body. So you have to use real binders and chelators, but you have to also use them correctly. And one other caution, you have to do it long enough to actually matter. You don't pull mercury out of the brain in months. It just doesn't work that way. I run into many people go, oh, I did mercury detox. I, oh gosh, I think I did it for three months, six months even. It's like, well, if it were that easy. Uh, it, it is bioaccumulated in a very deep, uh, deep way. And I mentioned that uh, lead earlier just because my wife battled that. And major hormone problems, like her mother, where she got her lead load from. And she was trying to fix her methylation, which helps your body get rid of toxic estrogen uh, and other toxic hormones. She couldn't do it, you know, until we realized, holy cow, she had lead off the charts. It's stored in the bone, and it comes out over years, and it takes years to get it out of the body correctly. So I teach doctors around the world how to do this and how to get it out of the brain and how to get these metals out of the body correctly. But again, it's not always just metals. There's a perfect stomach. to have hidden infections. I mean, in body, particularly in their jaw where they have root canals, um, you know, uh, wisdom teeth removed. They, I mentioned mold earlier. The point is, is you have to uncover and do a darn good history to figure out where these hidden causes are. And when you remove them and give the body what it needs, uh, it has a miraculous ability to heal. Thank God.
1: Well, I'd also like to emphasize during menopause when your bone might uh, dissipate a little bit, the lead can come out in greater quantities. Oh. So it sounds like let, let you know, the toxic soup we live in, I mean, there's glyphosate, which you talked about many times, EMF, big toxic soup. Yeah. So we have to look at that as a cause. And infections are hugely important because you've got mm. a cavitation from a wisdom extraction decades ago or a root canal. That's an infection that's just feeding the body and just setting up oxidative stress, inflammation, and a setup for any chronic disease.
0: Exactly. You know, another perfect storm that's happening today, um, especially we see it in our children, is, of, of course, we're not even allowed to bring up the word. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it, it begins with a V.
1: Oh, velocity. last. Okay, yeah, we shouldn't talk about velocity. We talk about it often on the show. We're not censored.
0: <laughs> is that what you call it? Okay, good. Um, anyways, yeah, it, it happens at well-baby visits. But look, the, the fact is is you have these exposures which have increased massively. You know, I had three of these when I was a kid. Today, it's, I think it's 87. So the, the bottom line is that that's one exposure. And then we have many others. But the perfect storm, is this glyphosate you mentioned? Because it opens. It was a 2012 study um, by uh, Stephanie Senup was the first to actually do the study in her group out of MIT, and she's they like showed Dr. that glyphosate opens I know her well. up. Yeah, she's awesome. It opens up the blood-brain barrier and the gut barriers, protective barriers, and it allows even the heavy metals and other toxins that we're already housing, exposed to, to cross. Deeper into the brain, she believes, is why we're seeing the explosion of autism, autism autism-related disorders, uh, dementia, and the list goes on. So we we have a massive, perfect storm happening in all of us with that. And and by the way, it's sprayed on. Most of our food supply, but remember, it, it's allowing these other toxins to cross deeper. So, EMF, we yeah, have, we does have the same
1: thing because both EMF and glyphosate yeah. interfere with intercellular communication. They both open up the blood-brain barrier. They both open mm. up the gut barrier. But in addition, glyphosate yeah. interferes with the detox pathway and also through the shikimate mm-hmm. pathway, it interferes with making the tertiary amines such as tryptophan and serotonin. Uh, both of these are nasty, uh, and yep. um, I mean, and these other things, you know, you add them together. For example, the youth, I mean, right now, I think 58% of our youth have a chronic disease and it used to be 18%. I mean, adults is well over half of the chronic disease and maybe 40% with two. I mean, why? And some studies said the optimal wellness age is age 29. Something has changed and I believe it's a toxic soup. And the velocity yeah, yeah uh, that adds adjuvants such as aluminum and mercury, and Lord knows what else, and I think that is cumulative,
0: yeah, no, it, absolutely, yeah, you know, so I mean I guess the question then is is you know what what do we do, right, and um you know like, again yeah, that that's you know that i you saw my lecture at the bulletproof uh the cellular detox uh, that I've been teaching for many, many years is, you know, how I got my life back, right? And, you know, detox has to be at the cellular level, meaning that even chelators, when we use the right chelators correctly, um, they, it's still in and of itself is not the full solution. You have to upregulate and get the cell, cells, if we have 50 to 70 trillion of them in our body, doing what they need to do every day. And every day our cells have detox pathways that get rid of toxins, even the to- even from the uh, energy it makes. It makes toxins, like burning wood in your fireplace. Smoke comes out, right? If the dampers close, you will die of smoke, not flames. Well, that's like our cells today. The detox pathways shut down. The dampers um, are not open, and then the cells become more toxic. The genes that are in your nucleus of your cells get triggered. We call it epigenetics. Now you end up with a condition of your genetic weakness, whether it's diabetes, weight loss resistance, thyroid issue, whatever it is. So the point is, is we have to get the cells doing what they need to be doing to have good health. And we have to upregulate those detox pathways. So my five R's is a roadmap of what I started teaching doctors on how to fix the cell so we can actually have a lasting effect. Um, That's how that's real detox, real detox has to be at the cell, and my saying is you have to fix the cell to get well. So if we don't focus on these pathways in the cell, we're just dead in the water right there.
1: Wow, this is so important uh, because the toxic soup, and it's only going to get worse. I mean, they've got all sorts of ideas, and the stuff they put in our food, it, the stuff women put on their face, that's oh, even that uh, whatever that stuff doctors doctors put on their hands to, you know that you know, it's, I mean that goes right into the body. That's just adding toxins, you know, and everybody's wiping everything clean with this chemical Bro. thing. That's gross, but you know, it's just going to oh, get boy. worse. But I'd certainly like to get back yeah. to your book. His recent book is Beyond Fasting: A Cellular Solution mm-hmm. to Break Through Weight Loss Resistance, Slow Aging, and Get Well. We all probably are having challenges with his weight, and I found I've read many diet books, but I was really captivated by this one. So, tell me a little bit about your book.
0: Yeah, look, you know, fasting has been part of my protocols for many, many years. I, you know, I took a fascination. With fasting in the 90s, I joke always that it was like it was me and some natural hygiene society people um, that we didn't really have much in common except the belief that fasting harnesses the innate intelligence and uh, the body heals. It's remarkable. You know, I've held on to my fasting strategies for years. Now it's finally in vogue. So <laughs> I was the only one ever I would talk about fasting and people would just look at me like, why would I do that? I, why would I go without food? You know, now it's much more popular. But, you know, I, I kind of in that book, I talked about how to get the best results from a fast. You don't just run a marathon, you train for it. right? You, do, you know, and that's really when we fast, the fasting is very different for everybody. And I don't, Say everyone should do the same fast, right? Um, it's very different because everyone's metabolically in different places. So, as you go through each chapter, you learn what you need to do to have a successful fast, right? What does that mean? Well, a, a fast that really gets rid of bad cells, which we call autophagy, um, is, uh, you know, that's a fast that you're going to have incredible results because. Bad cells called senescent cells. These are cells that live too long in your body. They drive inflammation. They age you prematurely. They turn to cancer cells. They they drive bad immunity, like autoimmunity. So, I would say, well, gosh, well, how do I get rid of those cells? As a matter of fact, um, when this whole um, uh, pandemic started, there was a gentleman. He wrote a great article, and. Um, uh, it was New York Times, and he said, "Look, when you look at an 80-year-old who gets sick, okay, they have a lot of these immunosenescent cells. These are immune cells that live too long, and that's why they get very sick. But when we look at a 35-year-old that gets very sick from this uh, bug that's going around, um, <laughs> which I'm obviously trying not to say certain words, not to get you shut down. We but um, the bottom line is
1: ship here, no censorship." I've had the most... Oh, God. Call okay. Call All right. Okay. So... Laura Cahill, et cetera, yeah. Neil Miller.
0: No problem. Uh, you can tell I do a lot of interviews, right? So I'm very cautious uh, not to get my people shut down. But anyway, so the bottom line is, as you look at a 35-year-old who gets very sick from the virus, um, they have a lot of immunosinous cells. And these are people who would go, yeah, I'm healthy, right? Unknowing that they have too many of these cells driving too much hyperimmunity, and not enough good immunity, and they get very sick from the virus. So the question then is, how do we lower these immunosinescent cells if they drive cancer, if they drive bad immunity, if they make us predisposed to this virus, if they um, basically cause hormone problems, which all of these cells do? Well, the cheapest way is fast. Fast. Simple. When you fast, this thing called autophagy happens, which means the body will get energy from bad cells. It's that smart. It will take out bad cells, these senescent cells, before it will harm a good cell. And so it eats the bad ones and it lowers senescence. And therefore, wow, you heal. Oh, it does something even more miraculous. When it gets rid of a bad cell, a senescent cell, it triggers a stem cell. Your body, it tells your body to recreate a brand new cell to replace it. Isn't that incredible? So You get this load, this rise of stem cells and this lowering of senescent cells. All that from a fast? Yes. Okay. But here's the deal. You know, to get that result, my book walks you through a process. So when you fast, you get that result. And in the book, I describe how to measure. How to measure when you're in what I call autophagy, where your body's maxing out. It's just crushing the bad cells. So I talk about how to measure your ketones and your glucose So you can see when you hit that level. But so when you go through this chapter by chapter and finally do an extended fast, and I do recommend five days. Now, that could be even with some food, which we call partial fast. Some of you may choose to do a water fast, depending on your results through this process. The bottom line is, is that when you do it right, you start entering into max autophagy day one or day two. If you don't follow the process that I put out in the book, you may not even get into maxotophagy or it may be day five by the time you actually would get into uh, maxotophagy. But the five-day fast is something clinically that I've done for many, many years because of when most we see most of these incredible results happening start around day four. So we want to ride it out one more day to day five. And then ironically, Um, A group that I work with, Walter Longo and his group, uh, they proved that five days is, in fact, a magic number, which I had no idea when I was fasting people in the 90s. uh, We didn't know that. We were just looking at uh, the people that we were working with and and seeing that five days seemed to be magic.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh Dr. Longo on his fasting-mimicking diet is a very interesting. I think his studies show that if you do this uh, a certain number of times per year, I mean, your expectancy and health go up incredibly. So that's yeah. a good uh, way to approach this. But part of what's going on in your diet is you reach
0: ketosis, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, in, in keto, ketosis is very popular now as well. And I I think where I differ from most people that are extremely excited about ketosis, and and just to back up for some of your listeners, this ketosis means that you lower your carbohydrate intake to a point where it forces your cells to use fat for energy. And then your brain can't, your brain cells can't use fat for energy, so it will make ketones, and then the brain uses ketones. Um, So ketones are extremely healing to the brain. They're extremely healing to the body. Um, And so ketosis became very popular in the last five years, perhaps. But I am not one of those who say that we need to be in ketosis uh, all the time. So two chapters in my book, I believe chapters three and four, I talk about the magic of diet variation. Um, Why changing your diet, going from a high healthy carb diet, maybe a plant-based diet, to a keto diet, maybe even sometimes a carnivore diet to a, um, another type of ancestral diet, um, paleo. But the point is is that the magic isn't the diet. It is actually the change of the diet. So, yes, now I talk about keto in Chapter 1 because I like to get people in what is a state called fat adaptation before we fast them because we can get so much more out of the fast if we're able to be in this fat adapted state one of the things too when you look at studies on ketones as a therapy for the brain or your immune system or your gut it has to be very high levels of ketones typically not found when people just get into ketosis in their diet but the levels that we see when we're fasting are extremely high which is what we need for really the healing so again just another benefit from fasting so but uh, you know the,
1: there's differences between you know keto ketosis in your sense versus Atkins because if you eat a lot of protein without the fat your insulin level goes up you get insulin resistance as if you're eating sweets so it's not the same as the Atkins diet which um, is not advised that we do because that can be associated with the premature aging stimulate the mTOR pathway yeah. etc
0: yeah you know exactly I mean I, I think Uh, You know, he never really differentiated even between certain fats, um, Adkins. But, um, uh, you know, I would argue this, though. I feel that even the Adkins diet, right, driving mTOR for short periods of time can actually be healthy. High protein for short period of time can be healthy. High, um, uh, you know, good carbohydrates for a short period of time. Like you said, I talk about feasting, the importance of driving up. Uh, glucose and insulin at certain times, let me just give you one example. So five days a week before a woman's cycle, uh, the need for higher glucose and insulin levels is apparent because you need insulin to make, for example, um, estrogen conversions, right? And even thyroid conversion. To go from an inactive thyroid hormone, T4, to the active form, T3, you actually need higher insulin levels. So that's why in many, they say, oh, women shouldn't go, um, low carb diets or women shouldn't fast because, you know, they struggle at certain times, which is true, but we don't say they shouldn't fast or or they shouldn't do low carb. What we want to say is that they shouldn't always do it because five days before a woman's cycle, we learn if we go high, healthy carbs during that time, it's like magic for their hormones. Um, because we're feeding those hormone cycles. So, you know, again, I think there's an appropriate time. So carnivore is a new diet that's going around, right? And uh, Paul Saladino, brilliant guy, he wrote a book called The Carnivore Code. And just for our listeners, carnivore means you're just simply eating meat and organ meats and fat. That's it. Now, Paul makes the argument that we should always be eating that way. And I disagree with Paul. Um, You mentioned the pathway mTOR. I believe that We would stimulate that pathway and be in too much of an anabolic state, and it would, in fact, age us prematurely. But what we have found is that if you do short terms of a diet like that, you can shut down autoimmune and all these amazing things happen. So, again, plant-based diet, I can make arguments that a plant-based diet too long actually creates gut inflammation because of the lectins and the phytates and the the plant toxins. However, I argue that those things are good because those things stress the microbiome and actually create diversity. Too much of them too long is not good either. The point is this. Our ancestors were forced to change their diet. They did it all the time. Yes, they had times of ketosis. Yes, they had times of paleo. They had times where their diet you know, looked like mostly protein. They had times where it was mostly fat. They had times it was plant-based. They were so sick of eating those foods when they came out of a harsh winter. They probably survived on, uh, you know, carbohydrates as much as they could get them. So the point is, is that we know now that, that with the variation is the magic. It's not one diet. All of them are right. But the key is, is if you stay in any one diet too long, you'll actually end up with problems. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big, uh, I'm one of the only ones singing this song, but I can tell you, we just do what our ancestors did. You know, they were forced to change their diet. There's magic in it. This is, honestly, you, the doctors that I train, if you would say, what one thing is the key to fixing these unfixable gut issues? And they would all say diet variation. Switching people's diet, giving people feast days during the week. So even the week, one or two days where they're radically changing their diet, and then monthly changing their diet, seasonally changing their diet. It creates a diverse microbiome that you can't create if you're always staying on the same diet. And again, we have this is the first time in history that we're able to stay on the same diet. But we know that the variation is really the key to the diverse gut. I
1: love that. I love the idea of varying the diet. I had not read that in other books or heard that in any lectures. I love that. So that's really great. So it sounds like the goal of your program is so, so you change the body into burning fat efficiently, and that uh, that's right will get us on mm-hmm. the path to good health.
0: Yeah. So when you diver- when you diversify, for you know, change your diet you become very metabolically flexible, meaning when you change your diet, um, your body will immediately change its fuel source. So your mitochondria get much, much better. Uh, Bad cells don't adapt, bad mitochondria don't adapt. So people who change their diet a lot, their mitochondria are able to switch from, okay, primarily glucose for energy, okay, primarily fat for energy, ketones. It, it will make these shifts and we call it metabolic flexibility. People that stay on the same diet, even a healthy diet, they, they lose that flexibility. So then their mitochondria aren't able to make those shifts. I call it mitochondrial metabolic fitness. You know, so meaning that we're stressing our microbiome just like we stress ourselves in the gym and we get stronger. And that's what happens with our mitochondria. Every time we force it, to go into fat adaptation. Okay, we're just going to be taking in very low carbs and using just fat for energy. Well, that takes some good mitochondria to make that shift. And many people have trouble making that shift until they do some more exercise with their mitochondria. (laughs) So, A lot of that is in Chapter 3 and 4 in the book. Okay, so
1: that's great. So how does one know when they're adapted as a fat burner?
0: You know, I mean, one of the simplest ways is you can check your ketone levels, and what happens is you'll see that your ketones will start to rise. But, look, you also want to see lowering glucose levels. So one of the things that I like to do is um, if we can push out a morning meal, you can push really any meal out, but, for example, if you push a morning meal out to, say, noon is is a good example, what should happen, let's say I test my glucose and ketones in the morning, and let's just make up numbers. So let's say it's um, 80, my glucose, and my ketones are 0.5, which is kind of right on the edge of being in ketosis, meaning your body's now utilizing fat. What I want to see if I retest my ketones before my first meal, say at noon, I should see glucose trending down and ketones trending up. When that happens, it's a sign that the body is efficiently using fat as energy. When you're not eating, my ketones should be rising. Now, I mean, there's some things that can throw that off. I, I talked about that in the book. Exercise can throw that off because your body is now throwing glucose out into the blood, gluconeogenesis to utilize in exercise. So, you know, you, you have to be cautious of some of those things. But in general, we want to see key, glucose trending down, ketones trending up is a sign that your body's now shifting over into fat is an energy source, and then the glucose will, uh, will start to come down. When many people fast, um, I just got sent some numbers yesterday. His glucose was 51. Uh, he was three days into a fast, and his ketones were 5.4. Now that's someone who's already in max autophagy. Their, his body is crushing bad cells, and his body is efficiently using his fat for energy. And he felt amazing. So sometimes I'll get a a text or an email. Oh, my gosh, my my glucose is 45. You know, is that okay? I'm like, how do you feel? Well, I feel okay. (laughs) What are your ketones? 7.2. I'm like, that's why you feel good. You know, your body shifted over. So anyways, I, I talk about that in the book.
1: Wow. Uh, So, um, I understand that testing the ketones in your urine is not necessarily the best way to go because, I mean, you know, there's a difference between letting them go and how much is in your body. So, what do you recommend for the way to test ketones?
0: Yeah, you know, look, um, there's a meter called uh, Keto Mojo and um, you can go to getketomojo.com and buy one for 80 bucks and it's very, uh, well, actually, you actually get some strips, uh, glucose, and ins- uh, glucose and ketone strips for that 80 or $90, whatever the price is now. But anyway, um, I recommend that because blood ketones um, are a more accurate measurement, uh, meaning in your urine, um, uh, you'll see in the very beginning ketones coming out in the urine, but that doesn't, necessarily mean that you're utilizing them and oftentimes once you really start utilizing the ketones you'll see the ketone urine levels drop um, uh, you know it's almost non-detectable range so yeah you don't want to use urine.
1: And what are the problems with just reducing carbs?
0: Well look uh, you know reducing carbs again I argue that this is a great diet to do periodically Reducing carbs all the time um, and being in ketosis all the time is not something I recommend, but um, period. I mean, could it be for a few months? Absolutely. Could it be for six months? Absolutely. But always being in ketosis, I'm not a fan of. I am a fan of variation, as I said earlier. But, okay, so, um, you know, look, reducing carbs for some people create, they'll say, well, I can't reduce carbs um, because I start getting dizzy um, you know, they get hangry. Well, that's a sign that your mitochondria, that's where you make energy in your cells, is not functioning correctly. And that's a sign of pre-disease, right? We don't want to, to be thinking you have to eat all the time. Hypoglycemia, because you're not eating, that's not normal. You should be, I always say this, one of the best tests you can do, just to test how healthy your cells are, and your, particularly your mitochondria, is go without food. How do you feel? Because if I went without food, to, you know, today um, I would go. Oh, it's dinner time. I'm kind of uh, my appetite would have me looking for food. Okay, but for whatever reason, I'm going to miss me. I'd wake up in the morning. I might be a little bit hungry. Uh, pass on noon when I would, or you know, later in the day when I normally would eat, I'd probably get a little appetite. Push it on, but I wouldn't have symptoms. I wouldn't have a headache. I'd have plenty of energy. Um, I fast at least one or two days a week where I just have one meal a day often, sometimes no meals. Uh, and when I do a long fast, I can go five days without water and have not one symptom. I actually feel amazing. So, but that is, I got there through, you know, being a, look, there's a science to fasting, but there's an art to fasting. The more you fast, And my book talks about how to do this. The more metabolically fit you become, the stronger your mitochondria become, the better your cells become, the more you get rid of bad cells. So the point is, is that if you want to see how healthy you are, go without food. (laughs) You should be just fine if you're metabolically healthy.
1: Yeah, and in your book you mentioned if you reduce carbs for a long period of time, you actually increase your insulin resistance because you're turning down the uh, receptor, the ability of the receptor to process insulin,
0: which is a fat storage. Yeah, no, exactly. So there's a lot of people who are maybe eating healthy, but they're actually ingesting too many carbs all the. Again, I don't have a problem with it short terms, but it's when they're doing this all the time, then yes that can create insulin resistance and lead to disease.
1: Now, if some of us aren't that well disciplined and we do kind of have a propensity to like those donuts, uh, gluten and all, and uh, we don't want to fast, what are some mid-approaches that somebody can do to get themselves better without you know, having to make what sounds
0: like a lot of sacrifices? Yeah, well, look, I mean, again, I'm not recommending anyone just fast, right? I, my book, Takes you through that step by step process for a reason, right? Um, you know, becoming fat adapted um, is a great start. Where you just lower your carbs gently, and uh, you can continue to put pressure on your met- mit- uh, your mitochondria by lowering your carbs gently. Gently, your body will adapt because it's adapt or die. And I promise you, it will not die, but it will in fact adapt. But that adaptation happens, you know, one cell at a time, so to speak. Meaning, your cells, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight. When you first go low carb, you're going to feel bad, and you're going to get cravings. So, to your point, someone who has a lot of cravings—that's a sign that, you know, again, I, I don't believe you're just not disciplined. I, you know, I don't believe that. I think your discipline's coming more from a hormonal aspect of, you know, gosh, I just have to have my carbs. You know, that's a cellular issue. That's uh, you know, there's, now again, I, I mean, there's emotional eating as well, right? And that can also be, um, you know, a different type of trauma, um, an emotional trauma that could cause that. But physiologically, most of it is just bad mitochondria. that don't want to shift over to burn fat when you're not eating. So it either burns its muscle into sugar called gluconeogenesis, which it really doesn't want to do. It knows it's it needs it. So it gives you a craving you can't resist. <laughs> and then you go, okay, I just have to have the carbs. You know, but, again, that's, I always say it's not your fault. It's the it's fact that your mitochondria, just all they want to use is sugar instead of fat. But you can train that. Just train that muscle just like you do in a gym. And, again, that, you can gently do that. You just have to you know, go through a process that works for you. But Chapter 1, it's all about it.
1: Yeah, I find if I don't have carbs for a day or two then I just don't want them. But then the emotional thing kicks in or whatever and that's a different <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yep. Absolutely. The emotional all, thing. All you have to do is, is bring double work. That's it. Yeah. Well, I mean I think the emotional thing kicks in on everybody fasting to some degree, going, Gosh, I just want food, it's comforting so i I get it, believe me. But fact is is though, um, you the more you fast, the more you get through that as well.
1: Yeah, and then I want textures. Gee, I want the texture of toast. I want the smoothness of, you know, something like yogurt or ice cream. I notice that kicks in as well. Uh, What about coffee? Without, Without the sugar, without the cream?
0: Yeah, so when I'm doing a pure water fast, I like it pure. Maybe, you know, some salt water and water. I mean, I like it pure because there's something about not... Pushing your body left or right or any direction, there's just magic um, when you're dealing with a pure water fast. However, in partial fast where you're maybe doing some bone broth, you're doing some, a little bit of food, I, I describe that in the book, how to do that, depending on our body size, then, you know, coffee could be okay. Um, and because I know people don't like giving it up because they get a headache, right? So, um, but if you're doing a partial fast, you could keep some coffee. But I also in the book talk about how to know if coffee works in um, your fasting window, meaning there's something very popular today called intermittent fasting daily, meaning every day you fast, right? You go to bed, you fast through the night, or let's say you eat a 7 o'clock meal, and then you eventually go to bed, you wake up at 7, okay, you have 12 hours under your belt, and then you decide not to eat breakfast, and you push it out another 6 hours. So there's an 18-hour fast that's very good. And autophagy does happen. I mean, getting rid of some of those bad cells in those daily fasts. I do it all the time. I don't do it all the time. I do it a lot of the time. But the point is, is that people ask, can I drink my coffee in that fasting window? And the answer is maybe. So in the book, I talk about how to test your glucose right before in 30 minutes, 45 minutes after your coffee. And if glucose rises Above five on average, then you're you're breaking out of your fast. You're breaking out of autophagy. So, but if it stays about the same or lowers, then your coffee's good for you in that little fasting window. So, anyways, there, it, that's in that, the book.
1: That's, it. that's what I found interesting. So it seems to work differently. Maybe it gets your norepinephrine going or something in some people. Because you did mention in your book that some people it raises the glucose, which would sabotage your yeah. fasting attempts. So. Right.
0: And in that case, I would say, well, try doing it with fat. Try doing it black. Try doing something different. Try tea. Right. So, you know, try something different if it doesn't work for you.
1: Yeah. And I, uh, okay. And I guess there's no problems with teas unless they have caffeine in them.
0: Right. Because caffeine can stimulate uh, some people's uh, in glucose. And that would, in fact, break the fast. So, um, but not everybody.
1: So, what is your passion at this point, at this time? What...
0: Well, my passion is always the same. You know, I, I have something um, I started with my son called Pompa Program, where I'm doing basically what I would do if I took some, a client on who had, Um, you know, an unexplainable illness or just, you know, couldn't get well. Right. I I would always end up with a lot of those cases from my doctors, but uh, a program. My son said, dad, you have to take it to the world, you know, directly. And so I built out a whole university portal online. And then I trained personally, um, probably about 15 coaches. And so it makes what I do affordable and it teaches, basically the person, everything that I teach my doctors, and then they're able to die, because look, you can't put detox in a box, meaning here's the same detox for everybody. It doesn't work like that, especially when you're dealing with sick and challenged people. It's very specific. The doses are different for everybody. The cycles, the detox cycles, or the length of them is different for everybody. Um, the, the, the downstream detox support is different for everybody. So What I do is I teach the person that process that I teach doctors and that I would teach someone if I worked with them directly. So a program is my passion right now for the last year and a half. And we've already reached, oh gosh, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people. So it's been pretty remarkable.
1: Wow. Your son triggered you to uh, expand this way.
0: Yeah, he did, and, you know, he, he's brilliant at how to, you know, he's brilliant with social media and how to bring it out to the, the people, and that's what he did. You know, I did the, the content, but he actually is, you know, he's reaching the masses on Facebook. And, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, you, there's a webinar. Um, it's uh, cellular, um, CellularSolution.com. Wow. solution dot com. If you watch the webinar, you'll be led into more about that program.
1: Wow, that sounds pretty good to get this out. Yeah, um, you know, anything else you'd like? What other topics would you like to discuss? What messages would you like for our audience?
0: Well, you know, look, I, you know, one of the things that I, I do talk about is right now there is a. Um, So many people with hormone challenges, you know, and they're playing the hormone game, taking bioidentical hormones, and and there's a time and a place. But if you really look at where the problem is, and I made this point throughout, I think, is that you have to fix the cell to get well. When you look at the hormone receptors, they are on the outside of the cell, on the membrane, and that's many of our cells. And the hormones have to attach to those receptors, like your phone. You could spend $1,000 on a slick cell phone, but unless it has a tower to connect with, you can't talk to your friend. Um, so it needs the receptor, the tower. Well, your hormones are no different. You can spend a lot of money on bioidentical hormones, but ultimately they still have to attach to the receptor on the cell and get their message in the cell. And then, hey, I feel better. Hey, I can burn fat now. My thyroid is working. I can tell. I I feel better. My brain fog's gone. But the problem is, is that so many people are in a state of cellular inflammation, and those hormone receptors are blocked. And therefore, it doesn't matter, even if your blood hormone levels look normal, because you're taking a medication, perhaps, or a bioidentical hormone. If that that hormone can't get its message in the cell because inflammation is blunting the receptor, then you don't feel better. I think that's a pitfall right now. I I think we need to start paying attention to what's driving this cellular inflammation. And we talked about specific toxins already in this conversation that are driving this cellular inflammation in so many people, and it's why they still don't feel well. It's why their energy isn't right. right? So I think we need to look again to the causes of the epidemic of cellular inflammation. You know, we have estimated 90-some percent of the population in this country that's autoimmune and doesn't know it. And that means people are just walking around kind of not feeling good. And your own, really, what they're saying is your own body's attacking itself. It's driving the cellular inflammation. <clears throat> so the, the, the problem is, is, we don't have tests to say, oh, you have autoimmune. No, it's not until 10, 15 years down the road that you go, oh, yeah, you have, you have rheumatoid arthritis or you have celiac disease or you have Crohn's or you have some other name that would give an autoimmune disease. But meanwhile, you had this condition for years, just when you were walking around brain fog and didn't know it. Something was driving the cellular inflammation, driving the autoimmune. And I think we as alternative practitioners need to lead the way in looking upstream at the cause. And I I say it because I go to those conferences, and I I see a lot of expensive genetic testing being talked about. And uh, I see a lot of Expensive microbiome testing being talked about, but I see less of being, you know, talking about causative factors. Well, you know, I instead think of just we're
1: running out of time here. Uh, I had one note that Ari Varjani has a test where you could pick up the antibodies that lead to these diseases like a decade beforehand, so you can ask your practitioner hmm. about that. Well, I think this is. There you uh, the diet and how we can finally lose that fat that's around our organs and our belly button, and you know, the, uh, looking at the underlying cause, which is what functional medicine is all about. What is driving this? The inflammation from the toxic soup we're in. Uh, would you like to tell people how to get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mentioned uh, cellularsolution.com if you want to see that. Um, but you can also uh, check me out on Facebook at uh, dr.danielpampa. Um, I do videos all the time there as well.
1: Okay. Well, I want to thank you. So with all this information, so do your own research, uh, share with your friends so they can learn from this, check with your uh, physician or clinician, and above all, be well. we got the
0: power to change the world. Thank you for listening.